once again to the Chapter 49 podcast. Today is June 22nd, 2022. Um, this is the Chapter 49 podcast. My name is Larry Lannon. I'm a volunteer, and I mostly deal with communications, uh, mostly this podcast, as a matter of fact. And so we're very glad that you decided to join us on this day. And Duncan Giles, we are speaking to our audience today, at least recording this. Uh, people may listen much further off than this, but this is uh, the 22nd of June, the day after the equinox. So this uh, yesterday was the longest day of the year. And they just get shorter from here and hopefully better. Well, better is always a quantitative question qualitative thing, not a quantitative thing, but uh, and we're going to talk about a number of things that have an impact on people working for the agency for which you still work, and I am for which I am retired, the Internal Revenue Service, but uh, I, uh, by the way, hope everyone had a good long weekend, the Juneteenth weekend, um, that is now part of the calendar each year, we, it was kind of a last minute thing last year, the, the president uh, hurried things up and got that uh, holiday imp impl uh, implemented right after the, the law was passed. And now uh, we've had our three-day weekend. The, the 19th was actually on Sunday. I went to a, a, a Juneteenth celebration where I live, and it was a really great event. I enjoyed it very much. And I hope everyone listening and watching this podcast, this is the time of year when most local areas have some kind of summer festival. Uh, you know, where I live, they're having their summer festival this week. I know next week with the July 4th, a lot of communities nearby have their summer festival right around the July 4th holiday. So uh, we want you to take some time and enjoy whatever hap is happening in your local community. These summer the time of year for summer festivals, and they are always good to, to get out, see your neighbors, have an enjoyable time. I assume that's true where you live too as well, Duncan. Absolutely. Yeah. In different parts of uh, town or basically any town, like you said, there are different types of festivals, local vendors, which are always great to support. And and like you said, just get out a little bit. Um, yeah. With the COVID pandemic restrictions, uh, if you're in an open air area, it's much better. So just to, you know, start getting back together with the folks in your area or from out of your area. So let's get uh, to the issues at hand today. The first one, you know, we talked just a few weeks ago about artificial intelligence, AI, that AI was being used uh, internally for people who had questions about various issues. Uh, AI was the technology being used, better known as a bot. You're not interacting with a human being, you're interacting with the computer program of artificial intelligence. So I don't know how that's going. If you have any any uh, feedback, I'd be curious to hear that. But the service has taken this a very big step forward. AI and these artificial intelligence bots are now being used for interactions with taxpayers. So what do we know about this, Duncan? Yeah, well, first off, it seems to be going okay because Skynet has not taken over yet. So that's, that's a positive right there. Um, the... What's going on now is our automated collection folks, um, of course, are buried just like the rest of us with too much work, not enough people. So uh, the SBSE uh, leadership has decided to basically have these, you know, expand the AIs to taxpayers to try and set up installment agreements, things of that nature, 
under a certain threshold uh, to free up uh, the assisters to be able to talk to them on more complex things. So we don't know if this is a wave of the future, something temporary. Um, you know, right now it's not costing any employees jobs because, you know, we're trying to fill those as fast as we can, but it is something that we are watching to make sure that, you know, the taxpayers get the quality and that employees that are here aren't harmed. I'm curious how the uh, taxpaying public will react to this. Uh, do you have, have you had any feedback at all on this internal system employees are using? Have many used it? If so, what, what are they saying to you? Yeah, right now we're not getting that much feedback. So I think it's still pretty new in all phases. So we're not sure how this is being taken or the pluses and minuses of it at this point. So it's just, it's one of those things we're going to have to wait and see how it plays out a little bit before we are able to start making some determinations on the good, the bad, what tweaks we feel that need to be suggested, that kind of thing. Of course, we all know that an AI bot is nothing more than a complex set of algorithms. I'm just waiting for somebody, uh, either the tax professional community or just other people around uh, the uh, people who are always asking for installment agreements. It seems as if we have a whole culture of people who do that. You know, it's pretty easy to mess with an AI bot if you know how to do it. So I'm wondering if people are going to start having fun with this. I can't imagine anybody out there doing anything like that, Larry. No, no, that would never happen. I'm sure we, that we have, you know, the highest safeguards to make sure that that doesn't happen. Like you, I'm, I'm waiting to see that one on YouTube. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm anxious to see... Uh if the service makes public uh, the feedback that they're getting, you know, what are the taxpayers uh, saying to them? They're going to be taking surveys. I'm sure you know, the service loves surveys. <laughs> yes. Yes, we do. Um, some of them more effective than others. No, I think this is one of those things is to be honest with you. I'm really hoping it's effective. I truly do because taxpayers need to be serviced. They need to be helped. Um, we're not able to give them what they need at this point because there are just too few people to do it. And there's such a mountain of calls and documents coming in that we're not able to get to them, whether you're in a call center, service center, whether you're a revenue agent, revenue officer, support staff, any of them. There's just not enough people. So anything that can do to improve that and make it better, I'm all for. So we're just, um, we're hoping for the best, but uh, you just never know. So again, it, uh, what Duncan is saying is that there are some people in the ACS system who want installment agreements are probably going to be plugged into a bot, an AI, artificial intelligence bot, to interact with them to see if uh, a simple installment agreement could be reached through that system. So we'll have to see how it works. And it's just been implemented recently. How much I know I know that how much publicity has the IRS done? I haven't I've seen them uh, with and I, I have a, a place where I can follow their news releases, get those via email, and I'm I haven't seen a word about this. I don't think they're exactly uh, shouting to the hills about this. I was just going to say, yeah, I don't think they're shouting this from the rooftops. Um, this is one of those things where. I think that they understand that there could be a lot of backlash. Well, you know, I'm paying taxes. Why aren't, why isn't a live person answering my call? 
We'd love nothing more than a live person to answer your call, but we just don't have the bodies to get to it because, you know, if anybody who's called in can tell you about the long wait times or the, quote, courtesy disconnects that they get after waiting on hold for such a long time because there's nothing courteous about it, unfortunately. So it's it's one of those things. It's a double-edged sword. Yes, it's not a human, and none of us like dealing with that. But if it can assist someone and help them out, you know, hopefully they'll be uh, better for it. But, yeah, I, I'm sure the service is not going to advertise this very heavily. Moving on to something else, something that the service is screaming to the hilltops and the rooftops and everywhere else, the fact that the service is beginning to actually catch up with these uh, paper returns. They had backlog paper returns badly, especially prior year returns. And there was a very extensive news release issued by the service just uh, not too long before we recorded this. And uh, the service is making progress. What, what do you know about this? Yeah, it's one of those things that on individual returns, they have really basically uh, come very close percentage-wise to catching up uh, to all the 2020 returns, individual returns, documents, things of that nature. And they're really making headway with business returns. So this is a good thing. And that's one of the things that, you know, they've thrown an awful lot of resources at catching up with this. Because to be fair, taxpayers want to hear, you know, what's going on and want their stuff processed. And it's understandable. So it's it's a good thing that we're that this is working. And what I also would hope is that they, you know, the what they're saying is by the end of the calendar year, they should be caught up. I'm hoping it's going to be closer to the fiscal year and those folks who've been detailed to the surge, uh, especially those who've been detailed and not volunteered, are able to go back to their normal jobs, which they, you know, they put in for, they've worked for, they want to go back to. I'm hoping that they'll be able to do that sooner rather than later, the fiscal year rather than calendar. Yeah, the service has been talking mostly about processing paper returns, which, of course, is, is very important. But uh, what about any headway they're making on just uh, written correspondence? That's a whole other realm of, of what's backed up. What do we know about that? It's There's headway being made, but it's not as much as the returns. The returns, obviously, were the biggest thing for them. And they're going on the, uh, you know, they're trying to get everything out as quickly as possible. I can tell you that I am so proud of each and every employee that's that's it, part of this doing this because it's been a, an incredible undertaking and just the fact that they we're making this much headway at this point is a great great accomplishment and i just tip my hat to each and every employee involved in that so it's it's going to be a while this is you know we're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel but we're not at the end of the tunnel yet and, and I think that's true. The management uh, certainly does uh, get some credit for this, but I really think yep. that the work is being done at the ground level. It's the employees they've detailed and volunteered. They're the ones who put the nose to the grindstone, and, and they're getting the work done. So let's let's not forget that. Absolutely. And it's like you said, it's been a tremendous undertaking. Um, there have been a lot of people who have not been happy about being detailed back to where they are. Uh, you know, we're just in the process now of some more remote call sites, getting the uh, training to work the 1040X's correspondence. So the service is truly making an effort to knock down these returns, the documents, the information. 
Unfortunately, it does come at a cost because it's costing us bodies that would be normally able to work on the phone and answer questions. But it's, you know, it's what's the lesser of two evils. So what do we know about how hiring is going at the processing centers? You know, I see um, the things every two weeks. We get lists of, you know, the hiring that they're expecting. We don't know, you know, I don't know how many show up at those. And there's they're in good numbers. My question and the question that's been raised the entire time, um, and, you know, when we were negotiating about a year ago, our now national vice president, Doreen Greenwald, was hammering home and the rest of our team was doing the same thing, is what about retention? Talk to us about retention, not just hiring. And, you know, that's, that's the thing. I think we have a lot of people leaving, and so our retention is not good. We're not able to get stats on that. Now, this is kind of a related note, but I really do believe how employees are treated makes a difference in retaining them. I think one of the greatest examples of that right now is the airline industry. Uh, the airline industry, I've known people who are in it. And they're leaving it, and it's because the working conditions are atrocious at most of these uh, airlines. Uh, whether you're a steward or stewardess or you're a pilot, uh, the working conditions are, are just awful. And uh, people complain about the fact that they can't get on an airplane and flights are being canceled. And I think we have to lay the, the responsibility of that at the feet of the airlines themselves. They have not done a good job in retaining their own employees. And I think the service needs to take a look at that, especially with the uh, most recent emergencies that have come up with with doing all this paper inventory, that retention has some value. And based on what you heard back from the management of the national agreement and based on those talks and based on what you're hearing now, do you think the service at the top level or levels, do you think the service is getting the message or is it kind of like everything is as it's always been? I, I think they truly do get the message. Um, I, they understand that, you know, you hire these people, you start training them, it costs money. And if they leave, it's going to be, you know, basically money down the drain as well as lack of body. So I truly believe the top leadership gets this. Somewhere, though, there is a disconnect. Um, where some levels of management are just frustrated because the training is not as good a lot of times because of the fact it's remote and remote training is not going to be, uh, for the most part, as good as in-person training. You're not going to have those discussions, those questions that are normally really good that you can learn things from uh, that you do have in person than you do online. You're going to have a little bit of it, but not near enough. And I think that plays a large part in it. And then you've got, like I said, a lot of managers who are frustrated that they're having to deal with this, having to deal with new hires, things of that nature that don't make it good. So the disconnect is where I think the problem really is. Let's move on to something else. And, and there's a lot tied to this issue because we are now as a service, and I'm, I'm, no, I'm a retiree, I'm no longer part of it, you are, uh, but the service is now bringing people back into the offices. Well, all the employees obviously have been working all throughout the pandemic, but the, 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 the removal of the evacuation order and the return to the contract provisions for telework, for example, 
All of that is is going to have an impact here because starting next week, everything will go back to the pre-evacuation order status. And you know, sir, uh, the one thing that we all have to keep in mind, Duncan, is that that evacuation order has been around for a couple of years. I mean, a lot of people have settled into working every day in their home or just using uh, the rules that were part of that evacuation order. Well, now we're going back to the old days, quote-unquote, as far as how things are going to be run. And I'm sure there's some trepidation simply because we all are creatures of habit. And we have set up habits over the last two years that are different than before. So I think there's some trepidation about the return to work uh, in the office. So what are your thoughts along those lines? Yeah, for folks who have not been coming into the office, and it's funny, um, you know, our chief steward, Gail Gross, just uh, fielded a question yesterday on this from an employee who asked if I was going to have to be coming back into the office uh, twice a pay period. And Gail informed the employee that aside from, you know, I think one or two days with we had bad weather, I've been here at the office every single day during the pandemic. Um, so it's it's one of those things I'm used to it. But there is an awful lot of social anxiety over coming back to the office every day. I've heard a lot of people saying they don't want to come back to the office. They're not going to be coming back to the office twice a pay period. They've got a note from their doctor or they've talked to somebody and they're not going to have to come. Well, if you've got a note from your doctor, I want you, hopefully, if you haven't already, you're going through the reasonable accommodation process because that's going to be have to be done via that way if you have this type of issue that you've got the social anxiety. And I would imagine if you've got this type of social anxiety that you haven't been going out anywhere. You haven't made any trips outside. You haven't been going to a concert. You haven't been going to friend's house or parties or things of that nature. Because in that case, it would be pretty selective social uh, anxiety. But there are people out there, and I, I know this, that, that truly do have this this fear of coming back. You know, they've, they've done everything right in the pandemic. They've stayed at home as much as possible. They're wearing their masks. They're doing all the things right. And they're, you know, they're quite fearful about interacting with people who may or may not have been vaccinated. And they're just, they're worried about, you know, what could happen. And that's understandable. Want everybody to know if you have fears, always feel free to wear a mask. If you not, don't have to, if you're in the area of low, um, uh, of low infections, then you can absolutely choose to wear a mask for your own safety. Absolutely. I wear a mask, you know, when my girlfriend and I go out anywhere to the store or do anything like that, we're still wearing masks. We're in the minority. We don't have to, but we feel it's safer for our own health to do that. We feel it's wiser. And so I would advise anybody that, you know, that would help to do that. But if you truly have social anxiety about going back, please, 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 you know, talk to a mental health professional. I can't emphasize that enough. You've got the EAP, the Employee Assistance Program, available to you where you can get a couple of free sessions. You know, there, there are counselors out there that can help you talk you through these types of things. So there are things that can help you get through this, um, you know, because we don't want to lose anybody. We want to see you at work when you have to be there. 
You know, you're bringing up a really important point, Duncan, and, and I want to emphasize this. You've talked about this in past podcasts. Let's emphasize it now. Uh, when you deal with sick leave and certain things, a note from the doctor that's very specific may be what you need. But if you're saying, I have a health condition that means I need to work at home and not in the office, that is a different situation, and you must go through a reasonable accommodation process. That note from the doctor is just one component of that whole process. So people need to know that uh, uh, just one note from your doctor is not going to do it. Exactly so. The services set up this process. And there are people that are trained to do this. And a reasonable accommodation is just that. Is it reasonable to the service? Is it reasonable to the employee? Can these needs be met? Um, and so, you know, if you haven't already, get that paperwork done now because until a reasonable accommodation uh, has been decided upon and met, you're going to be expected to come into the office. And I don't want anybody uh, to face anything like insubordination for not coming in. And these reasonable accommodation requests, I think they're worked as quickly as possible, but they you don't get like a one or two day turnaround on this. <laughs> yeah, there are a few of them out there and again, not enough people to do it. So it's going to take a little while. So that's why we have been urging people who have uh, asked us about this, talked to us about this to make sure that they, you know, let us know and, and get that paperwork in well before now. If you're putting your paperwork in now, you're not going to have an answer before you're starting to report back to work. That's just not going to happen. So you're going to have to report back to work on the schedule that you've uh, put in for on telework. Has NTEU made any suggestions to the management as to how this might be a, make this process easier? Or do you think the management is concerned about this? What, what are you hearing? I think that there are, I know national uh, NTU has had discussions with uh, the leadership of the IRS on this. Uh, and I know I've had discussions and I'm sure my counterparts across the country have had discussions with management that they deal with about these types of issues and how are they going to handle it and what's going to be done. And it's, it's something that is totally new to everybody. We've never had an evacuation order for two years before. We've never had this level of social anxiety among some employees before. So it's totally new for everyone, and we're just trying to work through it to make sure that it's done correctly, it's done fairly and equitably. And you made several good suggestions. If you're feeling anxiety, uh, there's an EAP program that can help you with that. So don't uh, be afraid to use that if you feel the need to do that. And if you have questions, contact your local chapter in Indiana, Chapter 49. If you're a member of that chapter, uh, Duncan Giles and all of his stewards and, and officers are available for your help if you have any questions. Let's talk about something else that's a bit tied to what we've been discussing. We've talked many times about the vaccine mandate, which has been tied up in court. I think it's important that we do an update on that because uh, right now the vaccine mandate has been ruled legal. It was ruled illegal by a district court judge. A three-judge appeals court panel overturned that, so no, the president has the right to do this. Uh, The vaccine mandate is legal. The people who have been pressing to uh, invalidate the vaccine mandate have now asked for the entire appeals court in New Orleans to hear the case. 
Now, that court has granted them that opportunity, so it's kind of a second level of appeal, if you will. The entire court, all the judges on that circuit court will now hear the case. It's like hearing it again. Now, the thing is, right now, the vaccine mandate uh, is, is still being held in abeyance based on what the courts have been saying. But as the appeals court moves to this next phase of looking at the appeal, the lawyers are saying, and I've been seeing a lot written about this by experts who know something about this, and Duncan, what's interesting is we don't know whether the vaccine mandate will remain in abeyance or will be put back into place. It's really a matter of that appeals court, and they have not decided either way on this. I guess we all have to kind of just watch and, and, and try to listen and, and figure out what's going to happen next there. Yeah, it, it really is. You've described it very, very well, Larry. It's one of those things where they're going to make their decision and then the administration and these folks are going to go forward with whatever they feel they need to do. You know, NTU nationally, our, our national president, Tony Reardon, uh, you know, our national vice president, Doreen Greenwald, uh, have been very vocal. And I've certainly been very vocal that I believe and I hope and I wish that people would get vaccinated. Make sure your boosters are up to date, things of that nature, because this isn't going away. Their variants are not going away. Uh, there's a lot less in severity out there, but there are still cases where people are dying. And we don't know what is going to happen once the fall and winter hits. That's usually when this peaks back up. So we're very concerned about that. So, you know, even if it's not mandated, we would urge those of you who haven't to please do so for your own health, for your family's health. We just want to see everybody safe, and that's the main thing. And we'll keep an eye on the legal status of all this, too. But what Duncan said is, I think, the most important part of this. One last thing I want to touch on, and I want to just discuss this briefly, and I'll ask Duncan to chime in. We're all familiar with what's been going on with the Thrift Savings Plan. The Thrift Savings Plan went through a huge change. And people have had trouble getting on, having trouble getting on the phone with them. So it's kind of an oddball thing in Congress. The uh, District of Columbia does not have a voting member of Congress, but they have a representative who can sit on committees but cannot vote in the full House. And it's been the same person for many, many years. Her name is Eleanor Holmes Norton. I've seen her speak. She's quite an, an interesting lady, a very intelligent lady, and I think does what she can to represent her constituents with the limited ability she has to do that. Well, she's been hearing from all these federal employees, particularly in the D.C. area, but everywhere, about how difficult it's, it's been to deal with the thrift savings plan after that huge overhaul that was supposed to be finished the first part of June. She, so she sent a letter to the board chairman of the TSP and asked about this and got a response back. She, it's a lengthy letter. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I want to read selected portions of it. One of the Part of this letter in response says the following. It says the TSP has converted more than $26.3 billion, that's a billion with a B, billion records for 6.6 .6 million participants in the TSP. And they say and our accountants in the audience will appreciate this, that the TSP has balanced to the penny $743 billion, with the B dollars that all the assets have in the TSP, $743 billion, and they were able to uh, balance that to the penny. 
And in the first 14 days since the June 1st transition, they have processed a number of transactions, you know, the basic transactions. They're continuing to uh, go on as normal. They talked a little bit about the new security enhancements. I'll read that. The security enhancements that you'll find in trying to, to log on to the TSP are in response to a surge in cybercrime in recent years, and why all participants are required by the system to create a new login for online account access, given the new identity management and authentication procedures that are now in place. In other words, there's a, a security reason for this. They say that as of just a few days ago, 90% of the logons have been successful. So they say they're making progress. They're, they said their call volume on their toll-free line went up two and a half times. The IRS has its own problem answering its phone. Um, they've added 250 people to the call center, but and they say that may not be enough. And if, if the uh, calls continue to come in, they will continue to add staff to their call center until they get back to what they consider a normal workload. Uh, and they still say, and, they, and the closing comments, the TSP made this very clear, I'll quote here, the core of our new system is functioning, loan withdrawal, fund reallocation, investment transactions are all being processed as normal, not been impacted by any of this. So the bottom line we're hearing from TSP is, hey, we know we got a problem, we're working on it. Any any comment from Duncan Giles on that? I, I think you hit that last line was just that they know they've got issues. They knew going in they were going to have issues. This was the biggest reimagining reinvention of the TSP uh, in their history to bring it up to date. They knew there would be bugs. Um, I haven't even tried to get on the TSP since then. I'm trying to let them get some time in before they do that. Plus the fact with the way the markets have been going, I really don't want to see what the amount is or not in the TSP right now. Um, but it's, it's one of those things where, yeah, they are working with it. It's, it's going, it's slow going. They knew it would be slow going. So just have a little bit of patience, short-term pain, long-term gain. I hope that's for the markets, and I'm sure it will be for TSP. Time for Duncan Giles' final comment. Yeah, something I do want to touch on for everyone. Um, I think it's very important that, you know, as, as I get older, uh, that you make sure that you have a will in place living trust, uh, you know, your health uh, wishes known, get those down in writing. You know, I've seen a couple of cases lately with people I know or heard of that have not had these, and it's caused a great deal of consternation. You know, having having a will, having, um, you know, your health issues known, uh, you know, how your choices, things of that nature, I think are hugely important. Yeah, it can cost a little bit of money, but it's going to be peace of mind for just about everybody in the long run. So I would urge everyone to uh, to do whatever they can in that regard. And I think not only having a will, but making sure it's up to date. You know, maybe yep. you have one, but you haven't looked at it lately. And in the state of Indiana, talking to the lawyers that I know, they say the most important thing in Indiana is to designate in writing legally a health care representative and make sure that person knows what you want done if something happens to you. That's Absolutely. The, that's exactly it. That's uh, the best way to make sure your wishes, because if you try to put your wishes in, in writing, it's it's very difficult you know, to uh, make sure that's uh, 
promulgated in the way that you want it done. So make sure your will and uh, is up to date and make sure you have, because, and I'll tell you something else you need to do, and this happens if you have children, get married, uh, get divorced, all these things. Uh, make sure, speaking of the TSP, that all of your beneficiaries are up to date. And on your, uh, uh, on, your, uh, on, on your retirement, make sure on your retirement accounts, all of your beneficiaries are up to date. It's extremely important that uh, the government have those records uh, timely and accurate as of today. That's all I have, Duncan. Anything uh, before we go? No, sir. Just hope everybody has a great week ahead. Yeah, and, and uh, as I've said, uh, D- Duncan said this too, please uh, enjoy yourself. It's summertime. I've, I've talked about making sure you have enough leave to take some time off. Enjoy your summer festivals wherever you may live, wherever you may have one in your home area or one nearby. Just enjoy yourself. It's the time of year for that. And if you're a parent, your, your kids, if they're a school age, are going to be out of school and just enjoy that time with them. I've always enjoyed that in the past because uh, my daughters are adults now, but uh, always enjoyed that time during the summer. So thanks again for joining us. We do very much appreciate the fact you've chosen to join us on this podcast. Let people know if you think others might like to uh, partake in the Chapter 49 podcast. So please be safe and be kind.